Welcome to Tea and Tales, the podcast by creators for creators. We explore the stories of those in the creatives industries in the hope of introducing you to your new favorite entertainer. So make sure to grab your tea, follow the podcast, and get ready for some tales with your host, Renee April. So, uh, well, come on in to uh, this episode of Teen Tales. This is episode six. This has been a long time coming. And so I appreciate you taking the time to sit down and have a chat with me. And uh, first off, do need to start, as is tradition, what is your beverage of choice for this for this podcast tonight? I didn't realize that I should have come prepared with a beverage. I have forgotten. <laughs> um, I did lie when I said there was no preparation needed. You needed to prepare. Yeah, that's right. Can I quickly go and duck a... Duck away and grab a beverage. Go for it. Run. You guys <laughs> okay. be super right. quick. Super quick. Okay. Oh, I, I was am just back. Wonderful. I was riffing with myself a little bit. The uh, the Spotify <laughs> people won't hear what I was saying, but the YouTube people, there's a sneaky little Easter egg in there for you. So wow. now actually I've just realized that I shouldn't be asking you what you're drinking, but what you're drinking it out of. I am drinking out of a glass this evening. That Thank you very much. Blasphemy. I know the insinuation, but that looks like uh, a whiskey on the rocks. It is, yes. I am enjoying this evening a uh, a glass of Signet Glenmorangie, which is a uh, single malt oh Highland gosh. whiskey, and it is very beautiful. It is um, fairly rich and velvety, and it has a nice little bit of sweetness to it as well. Normally, I prefer like an Isla Scotch, which is very peaty, but um, yeah, sometimes it's nice to relax with one of these. I love it. I love it. I, I always love meeting a fellow liquor drinker. Now I'm feeling like a pleb with my herbal tea. I need maybe I need to bust out the. Uh, <laughs> I need to bust out the grandfather tawny behind me. So we'll get started with an introduction. Uh, my guest tonight is Mr. Bloody Drongo, and uh, would you like to give yourself a little spiel to say hello to the listeners? Hi, I'm uh, Bloody Drongo. I'm a content creator from Australia. I have been creating YouTube content now for bit over 10 years and I have been on Twitch streaming uh, pretty consistently for about the last four years and I'm soon in the future going to be going full-time and um, I guess in terms of content I mainly play a lot of kind of sandbox RPG survival uh, survival games and that kind of thing mm -hmm. and um, yeah, I think that's kind of a, the, the basics about me, yeah. Fantastic, fantastic. That's what we love to hear. So you've been in the content creation business for a long time now. Roughly. Yeah, a fair while. Yeah, fair while. Not, not, not too seriously. Um, mm -hmm. Up until relatively recently, I only really ever considered it a hobby. Um, but yeah, I've, I've been doing it for a while um, out of love. Out of love. It's how it's got to start, though. This kind of thing, this kind of thing has to start out of love. Do you want to talk about how you took your first steps into kind of creating video content out of love for fun? Sure. So uh, I started creating uh, videos and stuff initially when I was playing an MMORPG by the name of Worm Online. And that to me was kind of the jumping off point because at the time I was playing with a lot of other people and I was um, doing quite a bit of PvPing at the time and there was uh, I guess 
a fair bit of uh, shit posting that used to go on in the PvP community. And so I kind of just ended up one day, I'm pretty sure I literally downloaded Movie Maker. I was that guy. Yes. Uh, and I think it was Bandicam as well, Bandicam and Movie Maker, which I think is like every amateur YouTuber from like mid 2000s jumping off point and started making videos. Fantastic. Mm. And uh, how'd yeah. that go for you? That foray into YouTube, getting uh, getting familiar with the algorithm, or were we just uploading for shits and gigs? Yeah, it really did start out just as uploading for shits and gigs, and just for the the very kind of small niche community that I was a part of at the time. So you know, it, for me, like getting over a hundred views on a video was like, oh my god, that's incredible! That's like mind blowing, like kind of thing. And it, uh, you know, it it slowly evolved kind of from there as I realized that you know maybe I did enjoy making stuff to entertain people more than I'd initially expected, and I kind of looked at other ways to engage more people through that. Okay. Okay. And where did that lead you? So we've gone from Worm Online videos. Mm -hmm. What was the evolution of that? Uh, more Worm Online videos. <laughs> <laughs> For the most part. No, I, I, I kind of progressed from making just very niche PvP content to making more curated, stylized content for the wider community at that point for the game and looking at ways of trying to promote the game because Worm Online, you know, it's still actively developed. Now I still actually play it, you know, uh, nearly 18 years down the track. Wow. And I, you know, I wanted to be able to share that passion with other people and get, try to get them to see what I saw in it. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the, the motivational point for me to try and make stuff. And because Worm is a very fairly slow game, I and not very visually stimulating in a lot of senses, I really struggled to try and come up with ways of making it interesting content to watch. So what I ended up doing was I did a lot of time lapse videos, um, which kind of really highlighted and spoke to the strengths of the game, which is the the creativity and the freedom that you have. Like Worm is a uh, a very much a true sandbox in the sense that you can terraform the land, you can build, you can um, you know you you as a player have a ability to impact the landscape and the land around you in a persistent world that is shared by you know hundreds or thousands of other players. And that is something that's really cool. So even though it takes a while, a time lapse really to me was like the best way of kind of highlighting that particular thing that I loved about it. Absolutely. And I have to ask, did you ever lose a house? Oh, so many, <laughs> so many. <laughs> I've lost whole villages uh, playing on the on the PVP servers. It was uh, it was a time. Because I did happen to pop into your stream last night just as you were running through the hand-drawn maps that players created mm. collaboratively. Mm. And that is just, that is mind-blowing to me. I think that's such a cool aspect of a game. And, and to, I did watch a lot of the stream last night and it just, I never realized it was so in-depth. So I completely understand how that was your entry into content creation and why there kind of was so much 
tailor-made content, I guess, because you could take from that a lot of different things and make it your own. Yeah, and I think around that time, like the early to mid-2000s as well, the the kind of culture around online relationships in particular was very much still kind of focused in the space of like forums and instant messaging and that kind of thing. And that kind of old school culture really kind of instilled a community kind of focus, which was kind of special to kind of be brought up in um, and grow up being involved in. Um, And I was kind of fairly late to the whole gaming scene anyway. Like I, before I was about, I think about 13 or so, I didn't play any video games at all. Like I never had like a Nintendo 64 or uh, a yeah. Game Boy Color or anything like that. Yeah. So it was really kind of a, you know, a mind boggling experience to kind of be, you know, playing games with uh, people on the other side of the world and, you know, working on mapping out areas and mm. trying to understand mechanics for the game that, you know, there wasn't any documentation at that time. It was just, you know, the devs would update it and introduce something. And then it was up to us as players to kind of work out what they'd actually done and how it all worked wow that is uh that is crazy so gaming just wasn't a part of it wasn't part of the growing up it wasn't was it just never present or didn't seek it out had no interest no well i mean my parents are both very uh i wouldn't say very anti-video game but they definitely don't have an appreciation for it so neither of them kind of uh wanted video games in the house i guess you could say like um we had a we had a computer um when i was when i was younger than that and i think on there we had like paint and maybe like rayman gold or something which i maybe played a handful of times um but besides that you know to them, you know, they were both they, they kind of viewed it as a as a waste of time, and I mean, unfortunately, even to today, like they kind of don't really um, look at it as as being a thing. And whenever I talk about it, they kind of go, "Oh, okay, that's that's cool." <laughs> How do they feel about you going into full time? Um. <laughs> Yeah, we had that Uh, conversation. Yeah, no, I have had that conversation with both of them. Um, My dad, when I called him, I think he went, "Oh, okay. Um, Well, fair enough." I think I think at this stage, you know, both of them know better than to um, you know try and change my mind about something. (laughs) But uh, when I called my mum, she was just like wait, so you're quitting your job to do this? And I'm like, yes. And she's like, how are you going to live? (laughs) I'm like, well, I do make some money. I mean, I do have plenty of savings as well. You know, it's, I'm hoping it'll work out. Maybe it doesn't, but I'd like to find out. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, my, my parents were very, very similar. But the second they found out that I was making a little bit of money from it, it was, they were like, they were on board. Once they, uh, mm. once they had to help me like find an accountant and stuff, they were like, oh, okay, you know, like you got to give it a shot. And now it's because, you know, the, the whole thing, mum's in my chat, mum wants to be on the stream. Like it's just a, it's a whole thing. <laughs> so I kind of, I'm a little I, envious. I, 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 I did notice that she's been coming to hang out in the streams a little bit more often, yeah. It drives me nuts too. She wants to do a cooking stream. <laughs> she's threatening to start streaming and steal my entire community. And the disloyal hex would just go straight to her stream and I'd lose them forever. So 
Schmetzler. biscuits, man. Might not be such a bad idea. Anyway, how did we do the switch from YouTube to Twitch? Because that is, we're going from recorded, edited content to live stream. What was that change like? How did that happen? Yeah, so that was really... Like, I was always interested somewhat in the whole concept of live streaming. I... The first time I ever went on Twitch was during the whole Twitch Plays Pokemon thing. And I think that was around, I want to say like 2013, 2014. And it was like a whole big thing. And there was like news articles about it. And, you know, there was like, oh, praise the praise Helix. And I don't, do you, are you aware of the lore around no, Twitch Plays Pokemon? Not oh, it's at incredible. All. Please walk I'll have it. to send you some videos after this okay. because it is really, really a wild time. So. Uh, that was the first time I ever made a Twitch account was to get involved with Twitch Plays Pokemon. And uh, it wasn't until quite some time after that I kind of really got into it as a viewer. Mm. Um, I think it would have been around 2000 and I want to say 16 or so that I was actively watching streams and I was playing quite a bit of CSGO at the time and I ended up one day just watching um, a streamer by the name of Shadowfax and she uh, was a streamer who was based out of Sydney and she was, I don't know, I don't know, like she was just very interactive and engaged with her chat and her community even though she was playing a first person shooter and i think the first time i kind of like watched and i was like oh this is pretty entertaining i'm enjoying this and then the first time that i like started engaging and talking in the chat i was just like oh i get this now i get why twitch is kind of a cool thing and you know before that you know i was probably that stereotypical person that was just like if i wanted to play a video game i just played i wouldn't watch somebody play it <laughs> what the silliness um i was that annoying person but uh yeah i kind of i got it then and it kind of clicked for me like i understood why this platform existed and at the time i was putting out a lot of very consistent youtube content and i was kind of getting very tied down in the in the grind of trying to chase the algorithm and oh. uh you know, editing isn't my favorite thing in the world. I do enjoy it sometimes, but when you're really kind of focusing on trying to battle through and trying to chase that algorithm, it does become a little bit tiresome um, and a bit thankless as well, especially if oh. you're not getting the traction that you feel might be, you know, relative to how much effort you've put into it, right? Yeah. Um, and I think at the time I was just like, man, I really want to ha give streaming a go. But because I live, uh, I was living out in the sticks, um, I didn't have internet that would support that. I mean, back in the day, I was limited to about 10 to 20 minute videos because a 20 minute video would uh, in like 720 or 1080p would take me about 12 hours to upload. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> and God forbid if it failed, that would just, I would be fuming um and so, these days i'm like 18 minute upload this is some crap are you kidding me i know right it's <laughs> yeah outrageous yeah. Uh, but then in early 2018 i finally got uh mbn um which is like to australians uh who might non-australians who might be listening to this is like basically yeah. the first time that australians had somewhat decent internet speeds <laughs> ever um <laughs> 
The world collectively heard like a, a modem starting up sound, and that was Australia yeah, that was joining the rest of the world. The <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's the Australians <laughs> on the servers now. That's right. We um, and yeah, and not long after that, I kind of then uh, jumped into live streaming. And naturally for me, I, I jumped into live streaming Worm and that because I already had that existing audience and uh, from uh, from YouTube and from within the Worm community, that kind of gave me the the jumping off point to you know start growing my stream on Twitch. Mm, that's really really good. So, what were those first couple of first couple of streams like? Did we have any horrendous tech blunders, or how did you go getting set up, finding the information you needed, taking those real first steps into hitting go live? I think for the first time trying to get understand how OBS worked <laughs> was very overwhelming. I I think I must have spent a full day and a half. Like now, I'm sure you can relate to this. Like it's now it's like a second language. You you can oh, yeah. you you know exactly what you're doing. You know understand exactly how all the elements work and how it interacts and everything like that. But and yet someone will ask me with in like the Patreon coaching, they'll be like, I okay, let's run through and start up OBS, and I'll be like, yeah, I've forgotten everything. Like because <laughs> because it's like done. And I don't yeah, have to sure. mess Set with and it. Forget. Set yep. and forget. Yep. Like starting from mm. basic scratch is super hard for me now because yeah. I've got a I because I change uh, overlays and screens and everything with every game. I've done it so many times that like my scene collections are in my blood. <laughs> like if I lost them, yep. I'd be so lost. Um, and so people will be like, "Yeah, I don't know how to get started." I'm like, "Well, you're on your own, buddy." <laughs> Me, call me <laughs> yeah, when you figured out OBS because like yeah. um, back in the days when when we started streaming there weren't as I don't feel like there was as much of a presence of like OBS tutorials and whatnot on YouTube because these days there's lots of you know like OBS tips for beginners and you know like mm. oh the latest patch notes for OBS and all this kind of stuff and it's really there's a lot of handy guides that step you through bit by bit but i remember really struggling really really struggling when i first got it yeah I, I i remember struggling with it i don't know if that was because of the lack of tutorials or whether it was because i'm just not very smart uh, i feel like i'm leaning or... towards the latter i just wasn't bright <laughs> enough to seek out the resources required i'm now yeah. thinking why didn't i just google how to set up obs i think it's because i didn't know i needed obs i think mm. that's what boiled it down with how to start yeah. streaming yeah it, it, it when you're starting from that scratch point of just zero knowledge it it can be a little bit difficult to know well where do i start yeah um to get into things but you're right i mean i think you know i over the past you know four years or so like i started streaming in yeah in 2018 so it has been about yeah a bit over four years now um when did you start I did, are you ready for this? I did my first Wee Babby stream in 2017. Not okay, a lot of people know yep. that, um, but I was living in Adelaide in like a little unit. I had watched mm -hmm. Soviet Womble play this game called Mountain Blade Warband. And I was like, okay. this looks all right. I must, yep. I reckon I built my Twitch account. I reckon I signed up my Twitch account to watch Soviet Womble. And then I gave That's it a fair. go. I reckon I streamed Dishonored for two hours, muted. I. I, I think I can relate to that because uh, it was absolute torture waiting between Soviet Womble uploads. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you're like, screw it, I'm going like to create my own content, in between buddy. and you're just like, I need more. <laughs> Soviet, have you got any more of that content? <laughs> I'm just going to create my own content. But, exactly. Yeah, it was definitely a time like getting stuck into a 
into content creation and, and just experiencing um, live streaming. Live streaming was super, mm. super weird. Having that, that live feedback must have been really weird going from YouTube to people there and managing it all live. Yeah, I think I think the the real uh, transition between the two happened pretty much instantaneously, for, at least in my mind, because I was just like, as soon as I had those first few streams, I was like, this is great. I love this. Like no the fact that I didn't have to do editing and, you know, you got to actually engage with people in real time. And, you know, personally for me, like one of the greatest things that I really enjoy doing is, and, you know, I'll say this to anybody, my only marketable skill is that I can talk to people, right? <laughs> and being able to engage with people and kind of take on their feedback and speak with them about certain things is, you know, for me was like an instant like kind of hook that kind of far surpassed you know the medium of youtube comments right to get feedback and interact with people like it just it felt so impersonal compared to being on twitch and talking to people and you know taking the time to get to know them and understand their personal perspective and why they might feel a certain way about something if you're having a discussion or you know any number of different things so absolutely i yeah, the first stream, first couple of streams, I was like, yeah, this is this is the direction I want to go. And I think, yeah, after that, it was pretty much consistent, became a consistent part of my life and my my schedule. Yeah. How did you go setting up a uh, setting up a schedule? Was there any work life balance you had to work around or did you find yourself just kind of streaming when you wanted? How'd you go setting up? During a an, uh, initially, when I first started streaming, it was just kind of when I wanted and I would just kind of stream what I wanted to. Um, I, at the time, I was working as a as a restaurant manager, so I was working, wow. you know, double shifts, and uh, I would work like five or six days a week, and I'd work really irregular hours, yeah. and you know, it would change a lot and stuff like that. So I wasn't really able to structure a, a schedule around that. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it was until about six months in when I started a, a new job in finance that I then kind of was able to build a kind of weekly structure. And at that point, I kind of figured out that, at least for me personally, that, you know, it would make more sense to be able to stop myself from burning out or kind of, you know, streaming an unhealthily long amount of time. Uh to have a, a schedule and try to stick to that and that worked out very well and i think one of the the perhaps one of the more underrated aspects of streaming especially when your your goal is to grow the stream is the consistency aspect like that's a really useful tool you know for people to be able to incorporate you into their weekly schedule and kind of make you part of their personal routine um, that is a really, you know, powerful tool, um, to try and, you know, have people come back and want to come back. Absolutely. I was, I was going to ask, uh, how important do you think a consistent schedule is? Cause that is honestly one of the questions I get asked most in coaching is, do I need to have a schedule? And I think mm. you basically just answered it, which is you are completely correct. The point of streaming, most of the point of streaming is to grow a community because of that live aspect and those that rapport that we can build. And so if people don't know when you're going to be live, they can't incorporate you into their 
weekly routine, as you said, and it is really mm. hard for them to come back and engage because it, people these days don't have a whole lot of free time. The people that are watching usually have jobs, families, hobbies, so they can't just be like, oh, Bloody Drongo is streaming randomly in the middle of a Sunday. Like, I'm going to go jump in there. So I think schedules, unfortunately, cause like you said, working irregular hours, it can get super tricky to decide between streaming and, and your job. But mm. it's got to be done. Yeah, I think it's a it's an interesting thing from the perspective that the, I, I certainly know of streamers that don't have a schedule that have mm. been very, very successful. So by no means is it, you know, if you don't have a, a schedule, you won't be successful. But I think the perhaps the optimal way to approach it is to be on a schedule. Because mm. I think, you know, sometimes you can fall into the trap, especially looking at other content creators and fall into the trap of um, survivorship bias, whereby you look at, they've done it this way, so therefore I could also do it that way. Yeah. Whereas you don't, you wouldn't know and you wouldn't be aware of all the people who have tried to do it that way as well, who have failed or yeah. have not been able to reach that same level of achievement that you're kind of setting your goals towards. And when you do that you really just you know you're you're falling into a pitfall and i think that applies to a lot of other aspects around streaming i think so too i think streaming is one of those things that it's a it's really hard to pin down to a formula because every mm. person has their own style of uh, broadcasting and presenting and so what works for one streamer is might not work for you and so it's it's really hard to teach sometimes because everyone is different yeah absolutely i think live streaming inherently because it's so much more long form than any other type of content creation it's much harder to kind of game in the same sense of like playing a youtube algorithm like i know youtubers that have been very successful on youtube and you know if you gave them a, a brand new youtube channel they could have you know a hundred thousand subs you know before the end of the year um, you know, very easily because they understand how the inner mechanisms of that platform work and they know how to kind of create content that performs well within that. Whereas Twitch, because it's so much more lengthy, it's much more personality based and it's much more uh, content focused from the perspective of that you're trying to capture a niche within a very small population of people that actually watch live streaming and want to watch live streaming. Yeah, you're totally right in the fact that it is like a, a long form of content creation, whereas YouTube, we can edit down to the really funny moments, but mm -hmm. it's really hard, especially I found it really kind of tricky in the early days, the constant narration. Now, luckily, I can talk a lot of shit, but um, <laughs> <laughs> who, who would have guessed, right? Yeah, fancy that. But in those first days, <laughs> you, in those first days when you've got no chatters, it is really tricky to keep that energy up and do two, three hours of engaging content. Whereas a YouTube video would be maybe recording for like an hour and editing that down to 18, 20 minutes or so. And it's all just, it's all right there, you know? Yeah. Live content yeah, I, is... I, and I think as well, like it's hard to kind of maintain, at least for some new streamers that I see, I feel like it's hard for them to maintain the... I guess the personal brand that they're wanting to build because it may be something that they're not 
that's not necessarily authentic to their own personal um you know maybe sense of humor or the way that they uh you know the way that they engage with people normally you know maybe they watch like somebody that they really aspire towards and they go i want to be like them and they try to replicate that without considering how do i kind of make that authentic to myself mm. and it kind of sometimes comes off as a bit awkward and maybe a little bit jarring and it becomes really hard to do especially if you're streaming like for three or four hours at a time you know eventually your authentic side you know your true self is going to start coming out and you kind of drift further away from what you want to be and you almost then at that become uh, at that point become conflicted between what you're aspiring to be and who you actually are definitely and it gets really exhausting keeping that persona up i think you could maybe mm. do it for a youtube persona it's much harder i think with content creation because we are just live more often there's uh, mm -hmm. more of us on the internet i guess yeah because there are some nights and I, I don't know about you there are some streams when i just i i've had enough i have just i crack the shits and i alt f4 and that is that is genuinely me a lot of times i've, I've met people uh, from the community and they go wow you're just like you are on the internet i'm, I'm genuinely too lazy to have two personalities and it just it doesn't <laughs> serve me it does not serve yeah. me to put on like this fake persona like i turned mm. up to 11 sometimes because that's my job to be entertaining yeah but i mean that's no different from like because i'm an extrovert if you put me in a brightly lit environment or a dimly lit environment in the city and put a drink in my hand or you know that could, doesn't need to be an alcoholic drink but i just like i like beverages and food and being social i will still be that turned up to 11 version of myself because i just genuinely get really excited around people and i i get really excited about things and i like to laugh so mm. that is i i don't put that on and i think if i was trying to be someone different like maybe if i was trying to be like this really suave radio dj kind of just very smooth i can't i can't mm. even i can't even pretend to do that and i'd get so bored and i would drop it immediately so yeah i think it's it's interesting right because I, I, I totally agree on your your point of like you it's you but more of an enhanced version of you like because I think that's perhaps the other kind of other side that new streamers can potentially fall into is that they just kind of get almost too relaxed and they're they're not I guess being cognizant of trying to be entertaining and engage people yeah um and you know you'll have like you know maybe long periods of silence or you know just content that you know you just wouldn't find interesting right um and i think yeah when you're when you are live streaming you definitely need to kind of you know bring a, a greater a greater sense of energy yes. and enhance you know who you are you, you your natural sense of self it is a performance Mm, yeah, absolutely. It, it 100% is. And I had another point. I'm sure it's going to be very, very insightful, it's, but I've forgotten what it is. It's super fine. insightful. We'll just pretend mm -hmm. there was a glitch in the recording. Yes. Wow, I can't. That was, boy, that was just <laughs> some really deep stuff. That's Thank like you. thesis energy. Well, I'm mm. super proud. I always say there, I say to the stream team, there are two kinds of streamers in the world. There are streamers that you really want to watch. Like they put on a, they put on a show, they put on a performance, they have, they're engaging. You want to be in their chat. And the second lot of streamers are, you're wondering if they know that their webcam is on. Do they know that they've hit live or are they just chilling? 
Because there have been yeah. some streams that I've wandered into. I like to troll Twitch from time to time, and I'm like, do you, do you know you're live right now, buddy? Should, like, someone DM you, or...? Because you're doing nothing. I feel like your web... I feel like the FBI, and I'm just sitting there watching through your webcam. Like, it's weird. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. I've definitely been to the odd stream that does feel like that. And, I mean, like, honestly, like, there's a lot of streams out there where people just kind of want to, you know, maybe stream to a handful of their friends, and that's fine. Yeah. Yep. And I think, you know, what we're talking about is definitely from the perspective of somebody who wants to kind of grow their own stream, and, and that is the, the focus or maybe the end goal. It's not just something that they just kind of you know want to go live and you know just play a game um Absolutely. it's definitely that that perspective but it's interesting you say that you think there's two types of streamers because i i always maintained there was maybe three types of successful streamers on twitch okay okay i'm down for this so uh number one is uh really highly engaging and really entertaining streamers thank right? you you're welcome yep Yep. <laughs> I, I like how you immediately were just like, yeah, that's me. Yeah, that, yeah, that's, 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 that's who me. I am. I mean, have you seen my RimWorld clips? I mean, yep. like, come on. <laughs> well, wait, wait until I say the next one because, uh, man, you're about to get roasted. Um, the second one is pro gamers. So oh. people that are really good at games that people watch, not mm. because it's entertaining, but because they want to learn or maybe they want to just be you know kind of wowed by the gameplay it doesn't matter that that streamer isn't you know the most engaging or entertaining person they just are there for the gameplay because it is at such a high level yep. and then you have the third type of content creator which is you know somebody who just does something completely different that is mm. just a real niche within an already niche platform and they generally will have um you know just something different about them that sets them aside from everybody else that is like maybe it's something that's a really high barrier to entry or maybe it's something that's very unique to them um and that is what kind of sets them aside mm. and you'll often find in my opinion that the real like 0.001% of streamers are often people that are almost like a, a venn diagram in the middle of all three of those individual characteristics they can be people that are have the ability to play games at a pretty high level whilst also being engaging and entertaining and also have some kind of niche selling point that makes them really interesting or different compared to their peers yeah that's really interesting that i definitely agree with all three archetypes hmm and I'm just like, I'm just running through all this. All, I'm watching through all the, like the really, really big streamers I watch, like so big they don't talk to their chat. And I'm like, mm. yeah, actually, that's that's yep. a really fair point. Very interesting. Well, to bring the conversation back to your personal journey, at what point mm. did you start thinking, I like the look of that purple tick? Uh, right uh what focused on becoming partner do you mean is that just, is that what you're saying yeah getting an idea of oh that's a thing that's out there oh, i guess these are the this is how i achieve it oh actually maybe i could achieve it what were the what were the thought processes in terms of i could be partner i want to be partner i'm going to be partner that's interesting because i don't think 
looking back on it, I don't think there's any one singular moment that I think I can identify as being like, that was the moment that I was like, man, I want to be partnered on Twitch. Um, and I think that's partly because there is such a massive gap between ach achieving affiliate and then achieving partner. Like there is a huge gap there for the vast majority of creators. There's, you know, a few outliers that will achieve that very, very quickly. But for the majority of people that, you know, those milestones are separated by years. Yeah. Um, and for me, like, because I already had that established audience on YouTube, I think I achieved affiliate within the first month. Yep. And then it wasn't until maybe two and a half, three years later that I achieved partner. Yeah. So it was a very long time. And I honestly don't think I ever really felt like I was set out to achieve partner at any part in that journey just because i think in my own mind i kind of tempered my own expectations thinking yeah that's kind of pretty unobtainable like that just seems like an absurd number of people like <laughs> 75 average concurrent viewers over a month are you kidding me <laughs> get out of town buster brown like my goodness and so i think it wasn't until maybe the the maybe a month or two before I got, like, I unlocked that, that I was just like, oh, maybe that is going to be possible. And at the time I was playing, uh, you know, RimWorld and I was playing Worm and I was playing a few other things in there as well. And it kind of culminated that, because one of the things that my channel is known for is doing RimWorld challenge runs. Um, and... Uh, at the time, I was doing a RimWorld challenge run where I had to collect uh, every single, uh, a breeding pair of every single animal in vanilla RimWorld, build a ship, and then take them off the planet without having more than 10 colonists and, you know, a bunch of other restrictions, playing it on hardcore. So it was like fairly high drama. And it was, a, yeah. you know, something that nobody had ever done. Like it was just an outrageous achievement. Um, and so that for me was, I think the point of difference that kind of made my spot in the RimWorld directory in particular, more interesting to people to come in and start watching and really kind of snowballing there. And it so happened that the month before I finished that challenge run was the month that I unlocked partner. And then I applied for partner. I waited about three weeks and then the next month just after i think i'd finished that challenge run which was my you know, one of my highest months ever mm. in terms of concurrent viewership was when i got partnered oh my gosh wow mm. that would have been such an intense month like i've done runs and stuff like that before where the content creation is so like it's so good what you're putting out but the stakes and the stress and you, you know you can feel that you're putting out good stuff but you also mm. can feel like this is not sustainable at this level Maybe for you it is. Maybe I'm just not. Maybe I'm, <laughs> I'm just, just thinking weird. about that because <laughs> I, I, I your feel. Face. <laughs> I, no, well, I was, I was more just kind of trying to think whether I personally relate to that because I think for me, I really kind of enjoy and thrive in those kind of. I mean, without sounding dramatic, adverse <laughs> kind of environments, right? High stress environments. Yeah, I, I kind of enjoy them. I'm a bit masochistic in that way that, you know, <laughs> when things go wrong, I'm just like, 
All right, let's get stuck in. What's, uh, let's see what we can do here. And uh, so I don't think I really kind of felt overwhelmed at the time. And I really didn't, I didn't do like a partner push and I really didn't, um, I really didn't kind of set my mind that, you know, this is something I wanted because I just, you know, really didn't want to be disappointed, right? Because yeah. it, I still felt, you know, unworthy of that in a, in a lot of senses as well because there's a lot of people that i watched that you know were partnered and i would look at them and go well, i'm nowhere near as good as them there's no way i could be yeah. a partner as well can relate so yeah absolutely no i'm just i'm thinking back on you're talking about like this reward challenge with like you know two what was it two like a breeding pair of each animal and mm. a ship and only 10 colonists playing on hardcore i'm like Dude, that to me is like a, a like a normal run of RimWorld is like hard, every moment is hardcore for me. It is a game that I have never been good at, and I mm. I am the complete uh, antithesis to you. I just stress pressure. I just crumble. I swear at my chat. I alter for the stream. I uninstall the game live on Twitch. Like I don't handle pressure and I don't handle stress. So that's really interesting the difference between us because I do these. There are some times when I do like really good series of um of just, it might be like Bannerlord or the one that I'm thinking of is was Shadow of Mordor the first game? I think Shadow of Mordor was the first one. Yeah. And when, I'm, yeah. when I do those as like a series, I can feel that my kind of like broadcasting energy is higher than normal and it's, it takes mm -hmm. much more out of me. So I kind of know that oh, I can do this for a short period and my numbers are going to be really good and the revenue is going to be really, really good. But then I'm going to have to go back and play like Banished for a month to recover, you know, where we spend like... A, okay you know like a week or two just planting farms in in banished i don't i don't know if i just get like too into it or i just find it really unsustainable to do high stress high stakes i i wonder if that's like a difference between you and i in terms of like being extroverted versus being introverted because i know you mentioned before that you're more uh extroverted and i may come across as being fairly extroverted but i definitely kind of naturally kind of lie towards more of an uh introverted kind mm. of uh mindset and i wonder if there's a certain kind of mental energy that you're putting into your content when you're really in the zone that maybe takes a different uh different amount of time to recharge maybe i'm i'm not sure i'm now thinking that maybe yeah. i tie a lot of my self-worth to how the streams do and i tie a lot of that to how the actual gameplay goes. So when RimWorld starts falling down on its ears and bursting into flames, I feel like I'm doing a really shit job. So, right. Okay. So that that's interesting, right? Because that's something that I have built into my brand as a way of alleviating pressure off of myself. You just disassociate right? from the gameplay. Well, almost. So uh, for those of you who are listening that aren't Australian, bloody Drongo means a bloody idiot, right? <laughs> and so my kind of brand that I wanted to bring to Twitch is kind of like a, a happy-go-lucky fool, right? And so it doesn't matter when I do silly or stupid things. That's what's expected. The part that subverts your expectation mm. is when I surpass that and I actually do well. And, you know, I think that it's really fun when you, uh, the most entertaining things are the things that kind of subvert our expectations and go differently from how we, uh, expect. And I think, did my camera just lose focus? Oh, I think yeah. it did. 
Yeah, that's too bad. Um, yeah, okay. That's fine. Uh, whatever. Um, and so for me, like I kind of built that into the brand from the start that I never kind of feel any pressure to do well in a game. And it's when I actually do well that people are like, oh, okay, you're not totally inept. Like, so I've, I, I think I've inadvertently almost in a way kind of excused myself from that you know, feeling of being like, I've got to not mess this up. Mm. I get that. I get that. I think I, I think I pretend to have that outward look of, oh, I'm rubbish at games. Look at me go. I'm really terrible at this. But then I accidentally do a good round of Bannerlord and I get a taste of the good life. I get a taste of mm. being good at video games. And I'm like, guys, mm. I want this forever. And then <laughs> I'll, I'll keep trying to, I'll do, I made my poor chat sit through tournament after tournament in Bannerlord while I just practiced. <laughs> and honestly, those were some of my highest rated streams that I've ever seen, was just me throwing yep. throwing knives at horses. So maybe <laughs> people just like seeing the grind, I don't know, but it gets to the point where I'm like, no, 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 I've had a taste of this good life where I'm good at video games and I'd like to live in that alternate reality. Mm. But my chat, like so many other streamers' chats, really, really like to... Uh, pull you down to reality by your bootstraps so that, yeah i i think <laughs> i i yeah i think that's that's true like people like to to poke fun and have a little bit of banter and that kind of thing and i think it's healthy to not kind of uh, like i'll let yourself feel too high and mighty right you know at the end of the day we're just people who play video games on the internet like we're not very important mate 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 i have staked my we're not very interesting no, no, i've staked my entire personality on this don't you go putting a hole in that balloon i will come down and never go back up oh dear yeah no i i totally i totally get what you mean yeah on that note did you want to tell the story of how we met because i just realized this should have been closer to the introduction but um Sure. And I just saw you um, recatalog it in your head. <laughs> so we we were introduced uh, by a mutual viewer on on Twitter, right? And mm. uh, I forget how it went, but I feel like they kind of like tagged one of us on one of each other's posts and said, "You should watch this person" or something. Something like that. And I think you came into my stream <laughs> and were like, "Hi," and I was just like, "I know that name." And then you said something or did something. And I was just like, right, I'm going to need an apology from you. 500 words on my desk in the morning. And just as a joke, but then you actually did it. You submitted a 500 word apology in my Twitter DM. And... <laughs> To which you responded. My finest, my finest moment ever was I responded with K. <laughs> the, literally the letter K. And I'm pretty sure I even put a period after it. Do you know what? I shared that on Twitter as a joke. I took a screenshot of it and I was like, you pour out your heart and soul. You lay it oh, on the line. You admit God. your mistakes. I got so many people DMing me being like, what's going on? What's this drama? And I'm like, oh no, shit. I should have put forward slash S. It was, it's a joke. It's fine. But the thing that I did that I, that you made me apologize for was, oh yeah, I know you. I went and watched some of your content. And I said, I do apologize. And you said, I take apologies in a 500 word written essay. That's right. Yeah. I couldn't remember exactly how that came about, but yeah, that, that sounds exactly like something I would say. <laughs> yeah, because you 
watch some of my stuff. You made me apologize. <laughs> that was yeah, about let's... that was about two years ago, maybe like eighteen I months ago. I think so. Yeah, I think it was about two years ago. Now it's mm. uh, it's been a fair while. It has. Um, mm. And now you're one of my audio drama actors. Yeah. Well, yeah. We can talk about that because that's public knowledge now. So. How did mm. you how did you feel when kind of that casting call came up? What made you what made you interested in trying out this side of content creation? Well, I think I was always kind of interested in uh, voice acting as something that people did, and I always had an appreciation for good voice actors. And I do silly voices on my stream all the time. Like I have little reoccurring caricatures like Grandpappy Drongo and, yes. and things like that who just, you know, they pop up every now and again and, um, you know, give them a spiel uh, from their, their repertoire. And and so I think when the, the casting call came up, I was just like, well, you know, this is something I've been kind of wanting to dip my toes into to see if it's something I, I really enjoy and maybe something whether I do have uh, an aptitude for um, and whether there's something there. So it kind of really, for me, was a way of, you know, finding out whether, you know, that was something that I really kind of wanted to pursue further. And, you know, who knows? Who but, knows? Um, yeah, still, still early days. As of recording, we have not actually gotten to any of your episodes yet. Not yet. No, you it need has... to write me some words first. I'm working, on it. I'm working on it. I think you're, you're pretty close because uh, we're producing episode six or seven at the moment. Um, so I think you're in around eight, nine. So we'll see how we go. We're getting Give there. me I'm some so... words! I'm trying. Word lady! I will say it is super confusing <laughs> writing the scripts for her crown of fire while also working on his throne of embers because my brain is in two different timelines mm. and I'll be writing. I can imagine. It's weird. I'll be writing his throne of embers. A voice actor will ping me and be like, hey, with uh, the first one, what's this, this and this? And I'm like, Hang on, I've forgotten what year this is. Just a second. I'm working on it. <laughs> Do so. you, uh, I, I mean, I'm sure this is something that you've spoken about, like during your writing groups and stuff like that, and probably on stream, but do you have like a, a, a timeline that you've written out for everything that you kind of want to bring into the books? Or do yeah. you, are you like super organized in your world building or are you kind of a chaotic demon? I will say, trying not to give away any spoilers or anything but i will say that everything that happens in the books is prepared and premeditated and okay. there will be I, I basically want people to finish the trilogy go back and read the first book and see all the little things leading up to the conclusion so yeah i i like i like that attention to detail in books like i hate when like for an example, like a, a murder mystery, oh. like they have a murder mystery where they, you know, reveal the killer at the end and that then you go, no well, hang on, you haven't even introduced this character before. There was no way that I could have guessed this. Like part of the enjoyment of that is kind of going, oh, well, you know, this could mean this and this could mean this. And then getting to the end and going, I knew it or, oh, of course, you know, yeah. sort of thing. So I really like that attention to detail in, Absolutely. in, uh, in books and that kind of thing. So, yeah, there is, I will say like a few people have picked up on the really, really subtle clues in her crown of fire and brought me things and been like, I think this because of this and i'm like ah i don't know i don't know what to tell 
can't I, say anything. I'm sworn to secrecy. And inside I'm like, yes, they're right on the money. That means and to <laughs> me, because I've spoken to a lot of authors and a lot of authors mm. are like, oh, if a if a, uh, a reader guesses the plot twist, then I need to change it. Right? I need to surprise them. And it's like, no, mm. if a reader guesses the plot twist, you've written a good book. Because yeah. they're obviously immersed, they're putting together the clues, they're remembering bits and pieces from the story. That's fantastic. That's brilliant. That, you don't that, want it to yeah, be really that, obvious. But... Yeah, that should be the goal, right? Is that you want you know people who are dedicated and absorbed into that world to kind of understand what's going on. Your objective shouldn't be to make something so obscure mm. that nobody understands it. Otherwise, what's the point, right? There is no point. And I have done yeah. full stream rants because uh, Storycraft okay. is kind of my gem. I think that's my unique aspect. If we were talking about uh, kind of like the bigger streamers with just like a niche thing. So my mm -hmm. little Venn diagram, my three little ice cream balls, I've got maybe like two, which is like I'm a little bit niche. I think I'm pretty engaging. I'm not skilled mm -hmm. in the slightest. So that's <laughs> that's fine. We can leave that one out. But um, yeah. story craft is my thing. So occasionally sure. I let myself get a bit tipsy on stream and I just rant about like a terrible movie or a really bad book because I just... I'd I enjoy a good uh, rant, rant as somebody who is very proficient in ranting myself. I love it. About all kinds of different things. I I can always appreciate a good rant rant. Absolutely. It's it's one of the things I do best. And I used to really regret them. Like uh, back in my early days of content creation, if I let myself get too passionate about a subject, mm. I thought I felt like I was alienating part of my audience. So I would sure. um, moderate myself a little bit. And then it was... I cannot, I cannot remember which stream it was, but I got really spicy on stream. And that stream had the most chat interaction, the most clips made of it, talked yep. about in the Discord, talked about in other people's streams, yep. um, tweeted at me. And I was like, huh, you guys like really like passionate ranting about stuff. Like I got that for you in buckets. Sit down, buddies. It's about to get real. Like, you know? Yeah. I think people like... Uh like to engage with content that either challenges them or uh, passionately agrees with them, right? <laughs> and it can fall either way, but either way it falls on, you're more than likely going to get somebody who engages with you. Mm. So like for me, like I, I'm, I'm very passionate about food. So, you know, quite often we'll have food related discussions and rants and things like that. Yeah um in, in my stream and you know because it's just so completely subjective it's a very easy topic to say you know a hot take and somebody will be like what are you talking about <laughs> and it's a really good way to kind of get people like energized and active and interested in the stream mm, um for absolutely. sure especially mm. uh, kind of capitalizing on that live medium which is real-time response from people it's a real conversation yes. between you and about yeah. 200 other people things get really wild like it gets oh, yeah. mad intense i will say before we leave the subject entirely just as a little easter egg for for the listeners uh someone brought to me a thing the other day in regards to his throne of embers and they kind of went oh wow i imagine if you're going down xyz route Pfft, man that would be really i can't there's no way that you could do that and i just went <laughs> <laughs> why couldn't i do that and they're like well that would be super complicated and really hard to pull off and i was like yeah it that this would is be, the hey, world that i exist in <laughs> it would be super complicated if someone was stupid enough to go down that storyline and a hundred percent all the things they pulled out were all the little bitties and pieces that i had planted and mm. someone got it dead someone not only guessed exactly where i was going they said imagine if you were doing this that'd be a really stupid move 
<laughs> and <laughs> and was, that was what you had planned? That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm writing oh, every day. Wow. So I just had that's this thousand-yard stare of, yeah, that would be really dumb if someone attempted that, hey. Mini How existential crisis. Yeah, like, well, it's too late to change it now. So, I mean, it's good that you put all the pieces together. And I'm going to do my best to pull it off. But so for the, for someone out there listening to this, because I think the person will listen to this, you are dead on the money. Um, you got it right. And you made me have a tiny existential crisis while texting you. So thank you for that. that and was... now sign this NDA. And now sign this NDA. So there is a really good chance as well that before His Throne of Embers hits the shelves at the end of this year, we will start production uh, based on like a whole number of factors, but there's a chance that we will start production on the audio version of it before it comes out. So all of you actors will be sworn to an NDA because you'll have access to material that is not in print anywhere. Interesting. those are the plans wow. at the moment. This is lots of lots of lots of juggling, lots of things going on. So that's uh, exciting to think about. I just need to give you some more lines. I just need to give you some lines. Give me any lines, <laughs> word lady. <laughs> oh my gosh! Now I have to ask, how on earth? We we're talking about food, so this kind of relates. Mm. How on earth did the shoey start? What was your first shoey? How did it come about? How has it become so part of your brand? The look on your face right now is digging through. I don't actually know. That's the (laughs) annoying thing. I I actually don't know how it kind of became a thing on the stream. Because believe it or not, before I started on Twitch, I'd never done a shoey. No, I would believe that. That's not really a hard thing to believe. Well, I mean, I am Australian, Ren, and despite your feelings on it, most genuine Australians have done a shoey. I call... No, I'm calling bullshit. I am 30 years old and I have never known anyone in my life Back in my day, we didn't have (laughs) shoes that we drank out of. We wore them to the shops and we had to walk 30 miles every day. Or we drink out of cups like normal people. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say, I don't, I don't know where people can comment. Um, probably not on Spotify. But if you can get in touch at me on Twitter or at Drongo on Twitter, I'm gonna put all your socials in the description and be like, yes, I've done a shoey. No, I've not done mm-hmm. a shoey. See what is a shoey. And bear in mind when you are coming forward to either confirm or deny whether you've done a shoey, I will be Ask revoking citizenship status. <laughs> on your answer so you know make sure it's the right one is this mean that at some point i'm gonna have to do a shoey yeah to keep my australian status well i mean people already question your accent right so that's because i'm know, actually we British need to and I don't give them to a reason a not to question it right <laughs> so okay all right, that might have to be a, that might have to be a PAX event because I don't want to do that on stream. That'll be sure, of course, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, for real, low key. If you're listening, I don't actually care whether people do shoeys or not. Always <laughs> drink responsibly and always, always don't drink. listen to your friends. Don't be peer pressured into doing anything that you're not comfortable with. Damn straight. Damn Disclaimer. Straight. What's the um, worst thing to drink out of a shoey? It's the worst thing you've drunk out of a shoey. You recently did the surströming, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's walk through. So that. I mean. Uh, the first, the, 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 up until recently, the one that people always kind of balked at was I once did a shoey with uh, vanilla custard and Jamison. And I and kind what? of mixed it up in a cocktail shaker and poured it in a shoe and drank it. And that What's was Jamison. 
uh, Jamison whiskey. It's like a Irish whiskey. Oh, yep. Oh, mm, uh. And it's really nice. It was actually really good. Like it tasted amazing. It, it was just pretty gruesome to actually watch because it was quite thick. Um, and I'm sorry, listeners, uh, for describing this for you. But um, that that was actually the one that people were like, yeah, that's pretty horrible. There was, there's been some other ones. I learned very early on that drinking hot drinks out of a shoe was a terrible idea. Oh no. Like, because it, it just kind of, um, I don't know, kind of brings forward all of the unpleasant flavors that you want. So uh, I think in 2019 for my birthday, I did a a, 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 a subathon stream and I drank uh, a coffee and whiskey out of a shoe and the coffee was still warm. And that was probably my most disliked one. And I think I put muesli in there as well because I think Why? it was the morning. So I was like, this is going to be my oh, breakfast, breakfast shoe. Oh, a breakfast shoe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, For gosh. those of you who aren't uh, aren't watching this on YouTube or something, Ren is despairing right now on video. <laughs> it, is, it is a sight to behold. Because, okay, I've always wondered, every time I've seen you do a shoey, which is a lot now, mm. how, what, how, how do you clean the shoe? Uh, usually with hot water. Okay, and that's it? Yeah. Did that get out the custard? No, 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 those bins, that, that, that one went in the bin. Yeah, those those ones were ruined. Oh my <laughs> yeah, there, there's, there's no coming back from, like, dairy products. Dairy yeah. products, straight in the bin. Oh my god. Yeah. And for yeah. some reason, I have this really vague memory of you doing a shoey out of a dress shoe. Was that you? Oh yeah, yeah, okay. sure. Yeah, I'll I'll shoo you out of anything. <laughs> that's I'm gonna call that's the episode title. I will shoo you out of anything. Perfect. I've got to write go. that down. Title hey. title there for title you. of the episode. I've just started naming these episodes because people get a real kick out of it. Mm. I will yeah. shoo you out of anything. <laughs> but the worst shoey by far was literally the other weekend, which was walk us through uh, the the Sir Stroming shoey. So for those of you who aren't Swedish or um cultured throwing some shade there wow. uh may not know uh about sustroming which is basically um uh fermented herring um and it is a delicacy in sweden and it is renowned for being perhaps the most pungent food to ever exist in the world and there are people who have had to you know burn down their house or destroy their car because they have tainted those places with the scent of Sustroming. So I recently did a stream. Um, I did an outside stream, which was a whole thing. And I uh, ate Sustroming on the stream. I tried it the authentic Swedish way with, uh, you know, on some Swedish crisp bread and some sour cream and some onions and potato and ate it. And the scent is just unbelievably awful. Like a lot of people before I tried it said, dude, you just don't know what you're in for. Like the scent is just so much worse than anybody can describe to you. And that is 100% correct. Like there were no words. Like I knew it was going to be bad, but as soon as I opened the can, it was like I got punched in the face. Like I went in there with the mentality of, right, I'm determined. I'm going to do this in one go. I'm going to open it. It's going to be no big deal. We're going to get through this, you know? And I was expecting it to smell bad, but, you know, as soon as it hit me, it was just like, 
hit in the face. I physically recoiled and started gagging, and it was just, it was awful. Oh um, but the flavor of it, actually not bad. I would even go as far to say as it's kind of good. Um, but Sweden, what are you doing? Because the the taste is by no means so good that it justifies how bad it smells it is truly truly awful um but after we tried it the authentic swedish way we also mixed it with some vodka oh. and some cider and then we drank it from a fish shoe, a um, fish shoe? yeah a fish shoe it, it felt right you know you got to do these things properly you can't do half measures and uh, that was the worst one I've ever done. Like somehow, and I, I haven't, I have a theory about this, right? Because like alcohol is used in perfumes to try and get like a, like a, a, a scent to oh, kind no. of stick to things and accentuate a scent. Oh, no. And by mixing it with the vodka, somehow it managed to create a flavor which was equivalent to the smell, oh. which is by far the worst <laughs> part of it. So it was like drinking the smell. And it was just truly horrifying. And it is to this day the only shoey that I have never finished. I drank about half of it and I could not do the rest. It was, it defeated me. I've, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Wow. That, okay. Number one, what happened to the fish shoe? Uh, I think it's still outside. <laughs> uh, it's, it's outside um, being aired out. It's been washed. It immediately went in a bucket with some soapy water and stuff, but it's, it's being aired out at the moment. I like those shoes, so I, I plan on wearing it again. Okay, that's fair. I'm just, I've got to say, I'm really loving, like, the behind the scenes of the shoey, like, knowing there's a shoe, like, the shoe bucket for the shoey shoe. Mm. Like, it, that's just, I'm, I don't know why, but I'm just really enjoying, like, this look behind the curtain. Like, for example, when you pulled down your green screen from behind you, I felt like I was in Wizard of Oz getting a look behind this, behind the curtain. Like, it was really <laughs> yeah. weird. And it's just, like, a, a man, like, puppeteering <laughs> me, just like, oh, 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 I am streamer man. <laughs> Wow. Like, uh, mm. second question was, how much did you attempt to drink? Like, are we talking like a cup of vodka or like a full soul of Oh, okay, vodka? right. In that particular shoey, right. Um, yeah, I'm thinking I, I didn't measure it, to be honest. I just eyeballed it. You so it was like probably the in. equivalent of like two or three shots of vodka and like half a glass of cider and then like half a fish. Half <sighs> Because Sir Stroming is like it, it comes as like a full fish in the in the what? thing without its head, so you have to uh, gut it and then you have to take out its spine uh, before you can get the fillets out. So we 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 chopped up the little fillets into little bits and then we mixed it with the vodka. This the more okay. I thought it was like a can. You pulled the top off and it's just like ready to tip in. No, it's it's not like it's fishy. not. It's not like little, um, I, I don't know, like just eating a, a sardine or something or a, like a mussel or a, a canned oyster or something. You know, you gotta, you got to work for it. I don't agree with it either. If there's any Swedish people listening to this right now, just why? <laughs> why have you done this to the world? Tell us, please, in the comments that you can't comment Tell on Tell me why. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? So what... I cannot remember what the event for this was. Was it? It was you. Was it you going full time? This. this oh no! So this was uh, something that I said off the cuff that I would do if we ever reached a thousand subs on Twitch. That was it. 
Yep. And I think at the time I was averaging like 40 to 50 subs concurrently a month. Mm -hmm. And so it just seemed completely implausible and preposterous that I would ever reach a thousand subs in a month. And I was just like, it'll never happen. So I was just what? like, we ever familiar. get to a thousand subs, we'll do a, a stroming shoey. And lo and behold, <laughs> at the end of last year, we actually did get to a thousand concurrent subscribers on Twitch. And I was just like, that's a problem. <laughs> that is a big problem because I did, I, I didn't want to do this, I know. but I'm also a man of my word, right? Mm -hmm. I don't, I didn't want to let down people and I'm a good sport. So yeah. Yep. Good on you. Mm. Good on you mm. for keeping your word. I too am familiar with the sensation of that'll never happen. Yeah. That's oh, ridiculous. I don't want to do this thing now. So I also I also made an agreement when we hit 500 subs, we would do a, a watch along in the community to watch Pacific Rim, which is perhaps one of my most hated movies this ever. This is such a and great it makes movie. Me irrationally angry pacific rim is one of the most flawed ridiculous concepts of sci-fi nonsense that i have ever had the displeasure to watch and if you like if you like pacific rim i judge thee and that's right ren you i judge you all right okay we're doing this cite your sources for it not being a complete sci-fi world there's actually good world building and I think they did a, okay, fair, all right, a good job the, for non-established right, IP one with no logical, producer backing. <laughs> I could give you one logical hurdle that the fundamental premise of this whole world is built upon that will bring the whole thing tumbling down like a tower of cards. I'm ready. So in the setup for Pacific Rim, right, the whole concept is, is that they built giant robots to fight these kaiju that come out of the ocean. Yep. And they were like, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to have the weapons on these massive, really expensive robots. And we're going to fight them in hand-to-hand -hand combat, even though we have effective ranged weapons to use against them. Instead of putting that on a plane or something and just shooting them, no, we're going to make a badass giant robot and we're going to go fight them. And then they realized, well, that's a silly idea because the robots keep getting destroyed and it's not sustainable for us to just keep on making giant robots to be destroyed. And so the obvious answer to that is to wall in the entire coastline of the world with a giant like 60 meter wall to keep the kaijus out. And then they go, well, this wall isn't good enough to keep the kaiju out because it's just a wall. They can get over it. Never mind the incredible expenses involved, the immense amount of resources involved in building walls large enough to wall in every coastline in the world. Somehow that's cheaper than building robots, which in of itself was originally just the stupidest way of addressing the problem to begin with. Pacific Rim is a terrible premise of a movie. Sure, the cinematography, the cinematography and the visuals are pretty cool. They had good budget, but the fundamental aspects of the world building just make no sense. And it really annoys me because it was a cool enough movie that could have been good if they just thought of a better reason for robots to exist to fight giant aliens from another dimension. I'm sorry. That's 
That's it. I now understand what it's like to watch one of my rants. <laughs> I get it now. I understand. That was glorious. And you know what? I'm not even going to dispute it because it is stupid. But it's glorious in its stupidity. Giant fighting robots in the no. ocean. No. It's silly, stupid fun. It, that's right. They're, they're stood in the water. And it seems to go from, oh, it's waist-high water that we can just kind of you know, have our torso out so we can swing around and punch things to, well, actually, no, it is actually the ocean and it's hundreds of meters deep and now we're sinking just at a whim. It's like they flipped a coin and like, well, now we're on the surface. Now we're sinking. Now we're at the surface. Now we're swing sinking. Like... It's it's a it's a it's a cool premise that's executed extremely poorly from a narrative perspective. It's so, not a world that I can be immersed with because it just has such glaring issues with the fundamental reasons why that world exists. And I hate it. And that's why it was a 500 subscriber goal because I was like. Pfft. 500 subs that'll <laughs> never happen i'll never have to watch that piece of shit movie with my community that'll be fine so how'd that watch along go it hasn't happened yet i've oh. been, I've been procrastinating i'd rather drink you rotten did. fish from a shoe than watch that movie <laughs> <laughs> okay you've legitimately done the sir stroming stream before mm -hmm. that's really hard to say by the way before you watched Pacific Rim. I yeah. had heard, I had heard the legend and myth of Drongo, he who shall not watch Pacific Rim. I thought it was just something stupid and funny. But this is... No, it's very serious. I don't joke about This is very Pacific serious. I am, mm, I, that, that's yeah. being hammered home for me with the, the mm. fermented uh, vodka smelly fish. That's and right. Yeah, I, I don't joke about Pacific Rim. This is, you know, as serious as it gets. Wow. I'm curious. Okay. All right. Okay. Mm. I'll come back with a rebuttal later. I'm still kind of reeling. Just, Sorry, yeah, yeah. Just I take a just, moment to collect your thoughts there. That's fine. I witnessed I a murder and the murder was of my train of thought. Um, so going towards full time, mm. what are some plans you've got for the future? What are th some things that you'd like to branch out and, uh, and kind of explore a little bit? Because you do have an artist background as well. Yeah, so I, I've been drawing since I was fairly young and um so for me going full-time represents you know more so the time to pursue both other hobbies and also the ability to invest time into content creation that i just didn't have before because the reality was is that you know i was working a full-time job which in of itself was extremely demanding and extremely involved which i did enjoy but didn't give me the same, I don't know, it, it wasn't something I was as passionate about. And so I would work like 50, 60 hours a week. And then I would do maybe 20 or 30 hours a week streaming. And wow. and I've done that now for about four years. And that is just not a sustainable way oh, to live. Gosh, I no. would not recommend that to anybody. But that was, I think when you're doing something that you really love, going the extra mile to do that becomes in some ways less of a burden like some people would go as far to say that it's effortless but it's not effortless it's just it's not as bad as it might sound like the reality was is that i would probably work 
maybe between 80 to 90 hours a week on a short week and maybe upwards of like 110 hours a week some weeks yeah but it it like when you put those numbers down it sounds pretty dire but at the same time like because i loved doing both aspects of it yeah you know both my real job and my hobby it was easier um so now that i have an extra you know 50 60 hours back uh, into my week i can then take time to um you know work on content creation in a more holistic approach so that for me is going to mean kind of delving back into youtube and also going back to um you know art commissions and just drawing for myself which is something that i really enjoy i've i love animals i love nature i love you know both of those things together like i draw almost exclusively animals and insects and um you know that is just a very kind of therapeutic and relaxing thing for me and it kind of you know is just something that i can do and it kind of takes me outside of my setting and i can pass you know hours doing that without kind of being burdened by my other thoughts and stuff like that so that's it's, such um, a good outlet to have and it's so mm, so important to have as well yeah yeah for sure uh so i yeah the 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 general plan with content creation is to yeah spend i'm going to increase from doing three nights a week streaming going back to four so four was up until about a year ago what i was doing and then i had to take a day out because i was just getting to the point where i was just like yeah this is getting a bit silly i can't keep this up um i'm going to bring back the fourth day and then i'm also then going to spend the rest of my days when i'm not streaming in the evening working on youtube content long form content uh you know youtube shorts or TikTok or whatever and then um, in between that as kind of, you know, just a kind of a, a breath of fresh air in a way, you know, doing doing art again and uh, mm. and that kind of stuff and, um, you know, kind of getting back into that. Absolutely. How's that feel, mm. the prospect of having that much extra time to invest back into yourself? Just It feels very alien. I don't think it's hit home to me yet exactly when it's going to come because it's still, as of recording, it's 15 days away. Ooh. So it's it's far enough away that it feels like it's not imminently around the corner. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, my mind is constantly going back to it and going, oh well, you know, I could also do this or I could also do this. So I've I've got a massive Excel sheet where I've just been writing down all of my ideas and that's, um that's a really great plan to mm. keep track of all those ideas because I like yep. like we've spoken about when um, we had a call a couple of weeks ago it's in those first couple of days of freedom might it might not be the same for you sounds like it is my brain was like a popcorn machine in terms yep. of just give me random stuff to focus on but i went straight into i left my job and then straight into christmas christmas with the family so my brain didn't actually key in that anything was different until maybe the end of january Mm -hmm. because I just like I'd normally have uh, Christmas off from work anyway so my brain was like yep this is normal yeah and then New Year's happened and I was like well you know taken time off in January before and then it got to the end of January my brain is still going hold up do we really not have an alarm in the morning this is great and that the, was that was Christmas 20 2020 22, 2020 yeah, yeah. 
So yeah, wow, and so it's been over a year now since you went full time. That's flown by. It is really odd. I genuinely don't remember what it's like to work anymore. Um, and it, yeah, right. it also doesn't help that my the roommate that I currently live with at the time of recording also works for himself. So we don't have any set alarms. We don't have any set work days. There have right. been days when the two of us are just like, what the what day is it? Because we've just <laughs> you just work. Sure. And then like the only day that we realized that maybe it was something different is because Woolworths was closed and it turned out to be like Labor Day or something. And we're like, well, now we can't get our groceries and this explains why nothing's shipped. No one's responded to emails. Okay. So it yeah. is really easy to lose yourself in a, in a very loose kind of workflow. But at the same time, like content creation energy is different from sitting at a desk nine to five and, you know, doing those kind of jobs. Content creation ebbs and flows. So yeah. when it's flowing, you, you really just got to chase it and you just got to go with it. And if you're lucky, yeah. you kind of get to train that into a habit and a discipline. And I think that's kind of, so for me, like I've got a very kind of structured approach that I want to go into this with, because I know that I, if I don't have a structure to begin with, there is the potential for me to end up having, um, you know, falling into some bad habits and, maybe becoming a little bit complacent in terms of you know what i'm doing at the time and so i've you know i've kind of structured things out i've got a you know a very much a, a plan of you know what platforms i want to work on what uh content is going to be a priority like i've put a lot of thought into it and you know of course the the other side of things um you know with any job right and especially being self-employed is the actual budgeting side and the financial side of things and you know for me you know i come from a you know my current career as of recording until i quit and i finish uh is is in finance so um you know that to me is something that's very second nature at the moment and being able to kind of lean on the skills that i've acquired through that to kind of set myself up in a way that I think is going to be sustainable has been very, very important to me. Absolutely. Um, especially to be comfortable with the risk of being self-employed because it is a risk. It definitely um, is. Uh, that feeling never goes away. I mm. have expected every single day since I started streaming in 2019, ever since I first made that $100 threshold, I have expected to not make it the next month. And that has been nearly three years now. And for two of those years, it's been my full-time job. And your brain never switches off from that, that self-preservation, I guess, of just assuming that there will no, not be any income from here on. That just doesn't go away. And I actually sat and talked to uh, one of my business advisors a little while ago. And I said to him, like, when, how, how long does this last? Because I hate it. And he said, oh, it just gets worse. Because you start building, you start building a company, like you have employees, mm. you have people working for you, and then the stakes are higher. And that's sure. kind of where I've landed right now is like last yeah. year, things last year in May got super hairy for me because it was just, it was like a, a bit of a slump in the year. Um, mm -hmm. I had a lot of outgoing expenses and then I got stuck in Adelaide uh, due to COVID. And yep. so having to rebook flights and stuff like that, it put me in like a, a pretty bad financial spot. And I remember just having this moment of, I'll just go and get a job like and it was just really I don't it was very reassuring to know that you know like I've got a pretty good skill set um mm -hmm. and I could probably just walk into a cafe and and you know like 
be wiping tables and sweeping floors by the time I walked out. And, and it's weirdly comforting to know that you can just walk back into the workforce having worked for yourself. But that fear of not being able to pay your rent, of not being able to pay your employees, that doesn't go. And according yeah. to Greg, gets worse. So I saddle think, up. <laughs> I, I think that's the, the big thing that I, I think a lot of um, small business owners uh, can sometimes not fully appreciate is that often your cash flow, especially when you're starting out, is going to be such a slim margin. And when unexpected things happen, if anything somehow upsets that, it can leave you in that spot where you're just like, I, ha I don't actually have any good options on the table right now. So it's very difficult to kind of get to that point where you know, things are kind of stable and you have something within the business to fall back on. But at that time, you've often then kind of, you know, then expanded the business anyway. And then you have new expenses. You, you then have those, you know, employees and you have, you know, larger invoicing to take care of and you have other overheads to take care of. And it then just becomes the same problem, but bigger. <laughs> bigger um, with bigger consequences. Because mm -hmm. like yeah. this time last year, if I, I was like, oh man, like it's been a good month, I'll make this, I'm not going to say how much money I earn on Twitch, um, but it's, you know, been like this much, like, oh, it's just enough to get me by, but one day it'd be like cool to make some more money, and now I look at what I was making and I'm like, that is my bare minimum, but the problem is now I have 25 to 30 voice actors working for me, I have an okay. audio engineer, I have an associate producer, a line producer, two composers, and two accountants, and... Also, oh, the authors from the anthology, so that's another dozen people uh, mm -hmm. that I'm directly responsible for as well. And you know how I am with money. I think we have spoken about uh, yep. my inadequacies in terms <laughs> of maths and, I and think numbers. That's the, yeah, I, mean, I think that's the other kind of spectrum of things is then when you're trying to grow a business, being able to identify the areas which are going to have the greatest long-term return on that cost, like that investment is quite hard to discern yeah. and you can sometimes fall into a trap where you end up almost over um overextended in terms of your commitments and kind of then not having any wiggle room or any freedom then to take advantage of other opportunities or be resilient to any other changes um but yeah, I mean, like it's all—it's naturally part of any kind of growing business or, um, you know, whatever to be in that kind of position. So yeah, it's Absolutely. it's a it's a challenge. It's a challenge for everybody for sure. I honestly always just expected it to stabilize, but I mm -hmm. guess what I didn't—I didn't plan uh, this time last year on the audio drama being so big. So originally, it was going to be a volunteer table read of people mm -hmm. in Sky Nation just in a yep. Discord call. Uh, and now it's this, I don't want to use the word overblown, but it got so big so quickly that I'm sitting here going, oh, what have you done? But at the same time, if we can pull it off, it's going to be really cool. So yeah. it's interesting how, and I, I like to draw like a parallel in uh, Twitch numbers. So you will acclimatize very, very quickly to your Twitch numbers. So you'll go from mm -hmm. like maybe 40 viewers to... 60 viewers to 100 viewers and then maybe you dip back down to 80 but because you've had that taste of 100 you're like oh 80 viewers Blech. when you forget for sure. that you lived at 40 for maybe six months yep 
And I think the same thing happens with income for a small business. It's kind of like, well, mm-hmm. my cash flow was this per month and now it's this per month and now it's this per month. And then it dips back down and you're still way better than you were at your minimum, but you've also expanded the business. So it's like what yeah. you were saying, like it, you do overextend. I think overextend is a really good way to put it and kind of um, get stuck in a little corner and not be able yeah. to take advantage of other opportunities, which is totally true as well. But trying to plan for the future in this environment, in content creation, in this economy, in this economy, in this economy <laughs> it's like you got to it's it's really hard i remember sitting down at a meeting with my associate producer who is very new to the world of twitch like so twitch Mm -hmm. is my expertise and but she clued in very quickly as to what my community is like she was the one sitting at the end of the kickstarter stream going stop promising things they're funding them because it was her Mm -hmm. job to make them happen and it still is haha dana you got a lot of stuff to organize um My condolences, Dana. I'm yeah. so sorry. She's a wonderful associate producer. But I remember when we sat down and I ran through my plan for the audio drama and I was like, I want to do this and this and this and this and this. And I want these people and I want this to happen. And I want this. This is going to be pretty cool. And I'd like to do this. And she says, OK, Ren. But how? How? And what's your return <laughs> going to be like? And I went, my what now? <laughs> your, ret- your return? Return. And she's like, you're paying yourself, right? And I said, no. And she was like, you're going to make money from this, right? And I said, no, because part of the reason that the whole thing is originally happening is the amount of people that got in contact with me being like, is there going to be an audiobook version? Is there going to be an audio version? Because people are visually impaired. People are dyslexic. Mm-hmm. People don't like to read. Yeah. So this originally started out as a way to remove two barriers, which was accessibility and mm-hmm. uh, the pay barrier. So the cost sure. barrier. Yeah. So that is one of the things I've remained really firm on is that you will never have to pay to listen to this audio production. Um, yeah. That has gotten hard to stick to at times because it's a lot it's a lot to it requires investment both in time and and literal money to uh to make happen so for sure but you know i i totally admire that and you know being able to make content accessible is such a an important aspect of things um so yeah it's you know very admirable definitely and i think it i think it speaks to our industry that when it's such a hard line to walk because as small businesses, we have to be viable in terms of mm-hmm. income and stability and keeping a roof over our head. But yep. at the same time, it's creativity. And when you lose kind of the passion behind it in, in terms of financial viability, instead, you also lose what makes the creativity creative, if that makes sense. So you kind of lose, if you only go after the stuff that makes money, you're going to lose what makes it special. Sure. Yeah. No, I, I, I totally get what you mean. Yeah. I, I think that's I think that's pretty much true of anything that has any kind of subjective value um, in terms of pe- how people interpret it. Right. You yeah. know, as soon as as soon as it loses, you know, that personal value, it will then detract from the, the, the physical monetary value that people might extend to it and vice versa. You know, um, you know, if you're the one making it, if you're uh ability to create that is tied to your ability to monetize it if that goes away that then like from a psychology perspective is going to be you know a failure that will then kill the motivation to be creative in that same vein yep. so yeah that, that makes sense to me yeah i okay. understand what you're saying okay good. i think I hopefully did... i articulated that in yeah. a way that was somewhat understanding what you were saying you did i don't think i enunciated what i was uh, saying very well basically just 
I don't know. I see a lot of people just chase down what gets them the most viewers, and I see mm -hmm. how quickly they lose the love for that. And then when mm -hmm. you can, you can tell when a streamer becomes disenfranchised because they just lose a little bit of whatever it was that made them engaging in the first place. Yeah. Because they feel like they have to do it. Whereas, yeah. um, and that was one of the reasons I turned away from uh, Bannerlord. I may return actually because like some updates have come out that are pretty cool. But yep. after a while, I was like, I'm just I'm doing this because I feel like I should, I should, because I've always I, been the the Mountain Blade streamer, right? Sure. I I think that's that's um. I think that's a really common problem that people will find something that works for them and they'll stop looking at other mm. ways of creating that same, I guess, magic, like that personal, you know, uh, recipe of what kind of ties together your personal brand of how you're wanting to present yourself and your personal enjoyment of what you're doing. And if you end up in a place where you're not enjoying what you're doing, you're totally right. It, it really does come across in the in the content and you lose that that spark that people get attracted to and, and want to keep watching for um, and you can almost if you become over committed to a particular type of content i think on twitch then you can kind of paint yourself into a corner where if you try to move away from that it's very difficult to and you know that's something that i've struggled with like a lot of people um might describe me as still being a, a rimworld only streamer they'll be like oh drongo he's the rimworld guy yeah. um and that's something that i've tried to try and actively change the perception of because i don't want to be just the rimworld guy for me rimworld is a game that i genuinely love and i still love playing it even though i've played you know probably literally over a thousand hours on stream but you know, if I was to ever fall out of love in that game, I'm conscious of the fact that I don't want to feel beholden to continue to play it for the sake of, you know, my audience. And I want to be able to be diverse. And, yep. you know, so being uh, variety is is very important to me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that is such a mm. hard thing to steer away from if you get stuck in a if you get stuck in a category. And become known as that streamer the moment you move away from it you risk losing your viewers so it becomes yeah. it kind of becomes this question of do i stay and do this and hopefully just ride it out until people get used to seeing me do some other things or yeah it's a tricky line to walk and i think a lot of young streamers get stuck in i gotta do what gets the viewers and just don't <laughs> yeah and i think you know you'll see streamers that you know might have hundreds or even thousands of viewers that then get tired of that game whether it be like league of legends or old school runescape or something like that uh, and then they get tired of that game because they've played it so much and they're just not enjoying it anymore and they'll move away and they'll end up with like maybe you know 20 or 30 concurrent viewers and a it's lot weird. of a lot of viewers will like to say to the streamer when they're when they're kind of streaming the game that they like they'll be like yeah i'll watch you play anything but the unfortunate reality of streaming is that you need to have a balance like a lot of people i hear will talk about you know you've got to stream what you love if you're not loving it then you're not making content right and the other side of it is well you know you've got to be analytical and you've got to you know choose the right directory you've got to choose the right games at the right time and you've got to do this and this whereas i think the reality is that it's somewhere kind of in between that you've got to find yeah. the right balance for you between what's going to perform in a directory and what is personally going to bring you enjoyment um, and you can't have it weighted too far to one side or the other. 
Absolutely. I completely agree with that. Because there have been some nights when I'm like, oh, I really want to play this tonight. But traditionally, Banished does really well on a Wednesday. So I guess we're playing when I guess we're playing Banished tonight. Mm-hmm. It is weird how some games have like particular nights that they do really, really well on. I've noticed it yeah. again and again, but it makes no sense. RimWorld on Sunday just goes off. I don't know why, it just does. That's so odd. I would say that so odd. Monday night is my super teeny night, but then I played RimWorld mm. on Monday night and it was a big one. And I was like, RimWorld okay. is such a great game though. Like, I, I could talk about RimWorld all day, but it is like, for me, it's like the perfect stream game because you have like those periods of high intensity drama and like action and stuff. And then you have those long lulls that gives you the opportunity and space to engage with people and talk yeah. with people in the chat. And then you have the actual gameplay itself. For those that want to just enjoy the gameplay, they're not so much interested in you and being engaged. Um, you know, every playthrough is going to be completely different. There's no two playthroughs that are going to be the same. It's yeah. not like playing an RPG game where it's like, oh, I've seen this bit. I know what's going to happen. Yeah. It's always new and it's always fresh. So for me, it kind of incorporates a whole bunch of aspects that I just think work really well for streaming, um, or at least my style of streaming. I think emergent storytelling is really has a home on Twitch. And oh, so much so. Especially when we look at things like, and I say this in every game that I review on YouTube, which is if we can't rename villages in your city builder, you've built it wrong. Let me rename villages because that is to date one of the highest kind of like integrations or uh, interactions that I'll have. But when we found out, I did a sponsored stream for Timberborn back in September last year. Mm-hmm. And the second we found out that people could be named the little beavers in the game, like I just saw community <laughs> interest just through the roof. And they, yeah, right. people bought it, people played it, people were talking in stream because they wanted to be picked as the next beaver. Like, I find that, and then that gives people a personal stake. I do believe, <laughs> I think, maybe perhaps one, one time I was a pawn in one of your RimWorld playthroughs. I cannot remember. I probably killed you very quickly. I think That's so. usually the way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I will say the RimWorld run that I'm doing at the moment, which may be on pause right now, um, is the... <laughs> <laughs> How much do you know of what's happened over the last two streams of mine? I don't... Okay. Okay. So, the the RimWorld run is meant to be for the Kickstarter backers. So, back in February, we wrapped up the Kickstarter for the Crownophile audio drama. And one of the rewards offered at a really low tier was that you could be a named character in the next RimWorld run. So, this is me fulfilling those rewards and naming these beautiful, wonderful, fantastic individuals who have funded my creative journey and the most horrible things are happening to them. So it's Rimwall. They knew what they were getting into. But when I last played, so keep in mind, I've played twice in my life. I, this is my second ever playthrough. So the first time I played was the T Pig run. Well, I mean, to be fair, like, I think of you as a streamer who has played RimWorld. So I don't think of you as a novice RimWorld player when I think of you. I'm... And I think that's because I have seen you the whole T Pig incident. <laughs> That to me is like the most RimWorld player reaction to something horrific unfolding, which is maniacally laughing uh, to the point of tears and then going, oh, well, you know, that just happened. Like that's the most RimWorld, veteran RimWorld reaction to something horrifying happening. (laughs) So it's like, well, yeah, Ren's an old hand at this. She's used to causing atrocities. Um, But, you know, in fact, you know, you're just like that. I, I, that is just me. Like, I just laugh at horrible <laughs> things. And 
I will say that the things that happened on stream last night just are so much worse than T-Pig. Like, wow. Okay. I said I'm going to have chat, to go back and watch that VOD then because that's, uh, that's extreme. I paused the game and I said, chat, if someone pitched me this, the things that have happened in this playthrough as a book, I would hate it. But I would publish the shit out of it because it's <laughs> it's so it's Robin Hobb. It's very mm -hmm. shades of we're doing this for the greater good, right? No, right? I don't think anything no. can outweigh. Are we the bad guys? Done. Yeah, and and it's yeah, it got so dark. And so I'm this honestly, I'm a wee Babby Rimworld streamer with about 35 hours in the game total and wow. most of those have been streamed so that's people teaching me to play on stream mm -hmm. and in my first playthrough I, I built a little wooden house that never burned down and nothing bad happened we rarely ever got attacked no one lost a limb um well, that's good one of my moderators oh. got eaten by a chinchilla that was about the worst thing to happen before the pig <laughs> um, and, and and so you're like yeah rimworld's not that rimworld's bad. fine rimworld's not hard but at boy all. does rimworld get bad I have never seen anything like this to the point where last stream I said, I understand why we banned it. I understand now. Because <laughs> this is, if you describe this to someone who doesn't oh, know video games. For sure. Horrible. Yeah, it's like, well, you can, you, can, uh, you can capture people and you can enslave them or you could harvest their organs and then put them into other people. You can like force them onto drug addiction so they bring you more drugs later on, you know. Rimworld, it gets dark, man. Like, you're out there, like, fighting armies of dogs and burying them <laughs> in the backyard. Like, it's it's a dark game. As far as emergent storytelling goes, it is brilliant because there are so many mechanics built into it. You can do anything. Mm. Anything. And I think that's just fantastic. But my limits have been tested recently. And I was shook. I was shocked. I ended the last stream in silence. An event occurred. I was shooketh. I ended the last stream in silence. An event occurred. And I sat there and watched chat just do their thing. And I alt f forward. I left. <laughs> I didn't, nothing, no outro. Never went back to my big screen. Didn't say goodbye to them. Wow. Left. Wow. And then I went and had to think about what I'd done. Wow, that's that's good. I mean, like as you play more Rimworlds, you'll develop eventually. Uh, you'll eventually overcome that kind of uh, moral uh, question. <laughs> I often describe myself <laughs> instead of having a moral compass, I have a moral windsock, which just blows in whatever direction <laughs> I'm feeling at the time. Um, and it, and and I think that's kind of one of the great things that Rimworld really captures is. You know, you want to survive. You want your people to survive. You become emotionally attached to them. You're upset when bad things happen to them. And you're even willing to do messed up things to try and save them. And it like, it it really kind of encapsulates that really kind of desperate roller coaster ride of emotions that is, you know, I guess somewhat akin to, you know, actually wanting to survive, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I will say you got to stop giving me names for the uh, for the episode because moral windsock is pretty good. Kind of a moral Look, windsock. I mean, bloody Drongo, aka moral, moral windsock. windsock. 
I think I think I'm gonna have to have like a a D and D character or a, a Pathfinder character that's a moral windsock. I think. Yeah. I think that's brilliant. In terms of, uh, we will start wrapping up very shortly because I've kept you for mm. far too long. In terms of streams that stand out to you over the course of your career, what have been some of your favorites in terms of uh, uh, just outstanding story moments or chat moments or collaborations? Um, so I would probably say anytime I actually have finished one of my RimWorld challenge runs has been... Uh, you know, a, a pretty kind of notable thing in my mind because a lot of the time those challenge runs can, I think the shortest one took nearly 12 months. So it's a long oh. time to actually work up to. It's a long time yeah. coming. And even without, you know, having people there, it would be a sense of accomplishment anyway. Um, and so, you know, the 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 Merciless Arc, which was the, the one that I first did, which got me partnered that we talked about earlier. Yeah. Um, you know, hardest difficulty, you know, every animal on the ship and then taking off like that was, I think like a moment, I, I think I even had a tear to my eye because I was just like, we actually did it. I didn't think we would genuinely do this. This is so cool. Um, and, you know, we did a, another couple of challenges there uh, in between. And then I think the next big one that I finished, which took about, I think about 11 months was um the uh what was it called the merciless empire where i had to conquer every single settlement on the planet and destroy every single other faction on the planet so there was no human settlements left besides me and then i had to do all three endings at the same time on the hardest difficulty oh my gosh um, i didn't know there was an end to rim world yeah yeah there is yeah so you can you can uh so the idea is that you leave the planet yeah right? that's the end game so you there's there's uh at the time there was three endings so you can uh travel to uh basically the opposite side of the planet and there is a crash landed ai ship where you can kind of fix it up and then you can build it up and then leave the planet and then there is the uh you can just build a whole pl uh, whole ship from scratch on your own home tile and then there is the royalty ending whereby you can get maximum royalty and the empire that gives you the royalty points invites you to come stay with them. And all of those endings give you a, I think it's a 15 day countdown where you get raided pretty much every, uh, every 1.6 days. Um, so doing all three endings means that you get three times those numbers of raids. So you were getting oh. raided like every like three or four hours. And because there's no other human settlements on the planet, it's only mechanoids. Um, so it was a whole thing. And we like squeaked out of there. And I was terrified the whole time that I was going to lose the playthrough. Like for that entire stream, I think it was like an eight hour stream. I was so sure that the we would lose it like it would i was like there's no way we can win this and just as the the mechanoids breaking through the final wall the countdown finished and we took off and they were shooting at the ship about to destroy it and it was like the most like movie-esque moment oh. uh and i was just like over the moon i was just like yes dude this is incredible <laughs> um that's amazing yeah so oh i mean gosh. that's those stand out in my mind as yeah. being big moments for the stream because they're big personal achievements that have kind of tied in 
with the stream itself. But I think generally whenever I get to collaborate with, um, you know, somebody that I really respect and as a content creator and really enjoy is always a good experience. Like we've collaborated on stuff and, you know, I've recently been doing um, a cooperative campaign in Total War Warhammer 3 with 2D Kiri, who's another content creator that I really look up to and I really enjoy her content. And so for me, when it kind of all happened, I was just like, wow this is the coolest thing ever i get to play games with 2d kiri this is this is incredible um and yeah there was a lot of moments like that where i um you know uh was yeah collaborations in general are just always pretty special yeah for sure i get that yeah wow i'm i'm totally taken with the idea of these rimworld streams like that's great please tell me you (laughs) highlighted them please tell me you highlighted them I don't know if I did. I, 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 I don't know. I actually don't know. Mate. I know. I know. That means you're going to have to do another challenge run. I, I am. You are? Yeah. Currently? We're doing an Archeo Nexus run, which is the newest ending that they added in for the recent Ooh. DLC. Um, so we're doing a playthrough of that where we need to sell our settlement three times and start over from scratch, and then we uh, finish up. Sorry, hang on, give me two seconds. You're good. I'm back. (laughs) Sorry about that. New Ascending of RimWorld. Yeah, uh, and then, um, yeah, we're doing that as a hardcore playthrough. So whenever I'm doing a challenge run, we don't do any save scumming or anything like that. We just do it as Mm. an Iron Man mode, you know, no no re-saving. And I think for me, like, that's, you know, the ideal way to play RimWorld because, you know, every decision is final. Every mistake is impactful. Um, Mm -hmm. Every choice is important. And I think that's, you know, in storytelling and games like that, to get the audience invested, like, they need to know that what choices what's happening on the screen actually matters yes so yeah i completely agree with you well thank you for for this i appreciate it (laughs) we'll wrap up now because i've kept you for nearly two hours but first of all where can people find you in terms of uh so people can find me over on uh forward slash bloody drongo all one word um you can find me on twitter as the bloody drongo or one word again um and you can also find me on uh youtube as bloody drongo with a space in between i'm pretty sure bloody drongo all is one word will bring it up as well yeah it's, yeah it should do brilliant I'm... and instagram bloody drongo as well go. bloody uh, sorry bloody dot drongo on instagram <laughs> if you want to check out my art there you go I, I love it i'll put all the links in the description so if you'd like to go and find drongo at those other places do go and click those links and check him out one of my favorite content creators absolutely 100 percent. thank you for taking the time tonight man i really do appreciate it and uh, i hope the listeners appreciated episode six of tea and tales thank you so much for having me i appreciate it